Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. And I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so that they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. I would tell you over those 25 years, rarely did I not have a line of credit in place. And a lot of times I was so thankful I did because it was so difficult to deal with banks that both my business partner and I learned that there was a lot of small businesses out there that really needed a backup plan. And that's why we created um, a really great small business line of credit. Our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn uh, more about our line of credit, credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com or give us a call at 862-207-4118. Again, that's fscreditline.com. FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. And if you apply today, we'll even give you a $250 credit on file. And just remember, the time to set up a line of credit is when you don't need it. So when you do need it, it's ready to go. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Veronica Romney. Uh, Veronica is a dream team architect helping online entrepreneurs dial in their human resources, develop phenomenal company cultures, and profitable bottom lines. She is a former speaker and trainer for Tony Robbins and Dean Grazioso and, a, and the former chief of, of mega brand Boss Babe. She no, she's no stranger to the stage and has been in the online marketing world for over 13 years, having been featured in places like Forbes, Inc. Magazine, The Huffington Post, and more. When she's not helping her visionary clients scale to eight figures plus, you can find her wrangling uh, her two uh, man cubs in the beautiful oak trees of North Carolina. Veronica, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. So what was it like working for Tony uh, Robbins? Uh, well, the timing was what was interesting, right? Because I had discovered and um, found out in December 2019 that out of like 650 applicants that I had made it to top five to represent him and Dean Graziosi as a speaker and trainer for them. And then as everybody knows, like the world shut down March 2020. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so physical stages certainly became virtual stages and we would do multi-day Zoom workshops and trainings and things like that. So a really interesting ride for sure, just because of the container having to drastically change, but it was still, I mean, we transformed people's lives and really helped them turn their knowledge into an actual business that could scale. Good. You know, I, you know one of my business, I had a business coach for 10 years and uh, I don't know if you know the name Michael Gerber, but uh, Michael Gerber um, uh, was kind of famous in his day. He's got it out of style but he, he coined the phrase that you should work on your business and not in your business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so she was his second in command. And, uh, so it's a little of the symbolism. I'm not saying you were second in command to Tony Robbins, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it was really, uh, she was a, she was, she was a great coach for me. It really helped me out a lot. Um, so, you know, today's topic, uh, 
uh, turn your rock star doers and strategic thinkers and leaders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have some really good experience in that as well. I, I, I kind of know what you're talking about here. Um, and when you're saying rock stars, you're talking about your best employees. Would you say that? Yeah, we're just talking about the shift from individual contribution to actually being more of a strategist and people manager within the organization and home growing them as opposed to just buying them off the corporate shelf or through a recruiter and things like that. Because I work primarily with online visionaries, online response, you know, brands, personalities. And, and this is a massive shift for them to go from like me, myself, and a whole bunch of assistants or doers or vendors or contractors to like having an actual org chart where you have somebody, you know, dedicated to prospects and somebody dedicated to customers. And that paradigm shift not only has to happen internally, but also externally. And it's, it, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. There's some learning and some growing pains for sure. Yeah. And, and, and the honest answer is the reason, uh, uh, the reason why I brought on that coach was because I thought I was so bad at Mm -hmm. managing the people I was working Mm -hmm. with and Mm -hmm. I really needed help because, you know, the way that I've understand it, um, you have the leader and then you have the, um, the manager and then you have the worker bees and Mm -hmm. it's really hard for the leader to kind of work down those areas, uh, or, or in the reverse, if you're all you are is the worker bee because you don't have any employees and then working back up, it could be Mm -hmm. a challenge, can't it? Well, leadership in general is is a challenging position because you're always in this spot that is like, I want to say healthy tension, but sometimes obviously we both know it can be extremely unhealthy tension because you have to manage up and you have to manage down. So it's one thing to to learn the art of people management, which in and of itself is really challenging. I mean, anybody who's ever been a parent, it's also like, it's very challenging. <laughs> like you, you leave the hospital with no manual and then here's a human being that needs you, right? Same thing. Sometimes we're thrust into people management without any kind of formal training. I, I certainly didn't get it in corporate America. There's, you know, so I've, everything I've learned has been through like some tears and sweat and, <laughs> and awkward situations. Um, but then there's the art of managing your manager, managing up and being that filter so that you can take team feedback, bring it up in a way that can be heard. And then also choosing your moments to like manage down and like being sensitive of your employees and their, their personal needs and where they're at, you know? So it's just everybody who's ever managed somebody, you know what it is to be in the in-between and that tension. I would like to, you know, contribute to a workplace that it's healthy and not unhealthy. Yeah, and I, I've had two different scenarios that I think it's important for us to talk about. The, mm-hmm. the second one we'll get to in a second um, because it was more about what you alluded to earlier. Um, but the first one where is, you know, sometimes if you're lucky enough, you start off with your company, you hire a few people, and, you know, one of them really turns out that you hired a really rock star and mm-hmm. they're really good, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, sometimes rock stars who are really good, come with uh, a lot of problems where they're, uh, I, I, you know, the, I, I think we all know what I'm talking about. You know, maybe they have a big ego. Maybe they, mm-hmm. they, they think that they can't do no wrong. Uh, they're very emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they can be extremely disruptive, which I've had on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. They totally ruin your company culture, can ruin mm-hmm. the people around them. Um, you know, let's talk about that person first. Uh, you know, there's always, you know, the, the, the easy solution. Well, that's, I don't know if it's an easy, that's the hard solution is to get rid of them. 
right? Uh, the, you know, the other one is to coach them up and work with them and those type of things. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about the process and your experience in dealing in those situations. Well, a couple thoughts that come to mind. I think sometimes when we advance a rock star doer into a people manager or leadership position, we're doing it because that's the only way that they can have upward mobility. And that's the only way that they can make more money than what they're currently doing. Unless you have some ridiculous comp plan, you know, sales personnel, like there's certain departments or certain roles that you can still incentivize somebody an individual contribution that doesn't require people management for them to make more money and be in control of their financial destiny within an organization. But if you're a small business owner, or you're still in the growing phase before you get to the scaling phase and you're like, well, no, like I really want to grow this company. I want to look internally and this person is so good at their job. I'm, my fingers are crossed that they'll be good at making little mini versions of themselves. Um, that's usually the mistake right there because it depends. And I just was going through this with a private client, like one of their employees who was so good at what they were doing. I'm not, I'm not even talking about egomaniacs. They're just so good at what they're doing. So the hope was, oh my gosh, you're so good at this. I would like you to lead a people, mini versions of you and help, you know, multiply yourself. So then we have lots, instead of one rock star doer, we have 10 rock star doers. Can you be the leader of this kind of group? And at first, when we approached this prospective leader, it was an immediate yes, because that leadership opportunity was amazing. They could potentially like, you know, retire their wife from having to work. Like there were so many things. And I think what the mistake was, we... In, misinterpreted his excitement for the role, for his excitement for what the role meant for him in his personal life. And now fast forward three months, it's kind of come up to bite us because he didn't actually have a passion for people management. He didn't have a passion for leadership. He didn't have a passion for like what the in and out nine to five responsibilities would entail. He was just excited about what that position meant for him in his personal life, which is self-fulfilling and self, you know, um, beneficiary, but you, you and I both know when you're managing other people, you are self-sacrificing. So yes, I think outside of bad personality fits, I think when you're thinking about moving somebody up, you have to really assess what, one, do they want it? And two, why do they want it? Because if not, it's going to backfire a couple months out. Yeah. I think there's a third area because I, I had the same scenario you're talking about. Um, and I, I think the third one is, you know, do you have the tools to teach sure. that person how to be a, a good manager? You know, this uh, this this uh, one woman who worked for me, she actually she's worked for me for two different companies. I really she's the best one of the best people I've ever hired. Mm-hmm. And she didn't she was, the you know, a rock star. Mm-hmm. And and I um, and I moved her up and. Uh, and I think, you know, it, the thing that was different with her is that she was humble enough to be willing to make the effort to change. And so when I got her a coach, which I think, listen, a coach is going to cost you, I don't know, $180, $200 an hour, right? If you have a coach working with that employee, you know, I think that's a great resource. I think that's sure. a great thing to do. Right. And then you really find out, can this person uh, improve? Let's say, let's say change. Let's say, can they improve? Or if they're uh, they're not really just cut out for it, because, you know, it's hard when someone says, uh, you know, first thing they need to do is be excited about the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, well, be, be excited for the right reasons, like we discussed. But I agree with you that, like, if you yourself know that I, one of my zone of geniuses is not to create leaders myself, because I am more suited towards that visionary type of role, where I'm better as a messenger for the mission. I'm better speaking and advocating for what we're doing and, and where we're going. And like, if you know that that's not your inherent skill set is to turn internally and to try to create leaders, then yes, it, it would be incumbent upon you to invest in resources or people like consultants, like coaches to help your team members thrive in a position that you want them to have and they want to have for the right reasons too. I completely agree. Yeah. Good. And by the way, it turned out good for me. I mean, she, she was, she turned out to be great, but it was a big learning curve Mm -hmm. and she loved it. She loved it. You know, she loved the idea that I was investing in her. And Mm -hmm. uh, so it worked out. Um, But there was a, it was a bumpy road in the beginning. Um, So let's go back to the other scenario, which is the one you talked about, which is, you know, bringing in, uh, having people that I think that what you're saying is they're they're not rock stars to begin with, but you turn them into rock stars. Is that what you were saying originally? Well, I mean, again, if you can't thrive in individual contribution, then I don't, if I was to spend my energy, it would be more on helping a rock star doer who's already proven their worth with themselves, just literally self-managing. Um, and pouring my energy or my external, you know, financial resources into that person than it is for me to turn somebody who's a mediocre doer into a rock star doer. So no, um, my, my specialty or what I really emphasize or what I do in my, my work as a, as a dream team architect is helping leaders level up, but also helping my clients not sabotage their own investments. Because what I have found in the online space, again, this is where I spend majority of my time is with online entrepreneurs that are public facing. I mean, they are the brand, right? And so they are the marketer to begin with. They're the Uh marketing leader. They're the operations leader. They're the everything. And so for them to essentially replace themselves, what comes up a lot is they actually compete with the same people that they had hope behind. And they tend to, I want on the on the really unhealthy side, they actually self sabotage their their people, which is really sad. So there is again, there is a, certainly this finesse between telling a visionary that they can't do everything for themselves and actually enabling both them to let go, but also for the other team member to feel safe to take the reins. So let's let's be clear here, so our listeners know what we're talking about here. We're talking about the people that you most you work with the most. Mm-hmm. Are people who are uh, uh, there's someone like Tony? Let's say Tony Robbins, right? Sure. And it's not him, but Tony Robbins. Sure. They have this persona that's mm-hmm. really they do a podcasting. Mm-hmm. They do uh, uh, lots of social media. They do uh, yep. uh, uh, lectures. They do seminars. So you're taking that person and you're building a team underneath them. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah. So. It, I would imagine that you need to coach those people who are doing that uh, uh, work, the Tony Robbins, because they must have a, a enormous egos. <laughs> no, I, I, again, I don't want to talk about our beautiful visionaries. Like they're all must be inherently bad and have these egomaniacs. <laughs> like, no, there's actually really, really good, like sincere, genuine content creators that want to expand their reach and they don't know how because all they know is they can't do it by themselves right so there's an there's an acknowledgement of like 
I can't do this by myself. I maybe have never worked in a corporate environment before, or if I did, it wasn't to the level of like VP or chief myself. So like, I don't have the experience to build a team. And yet I know that it's the internal systems and people that will help me scale beyond where I am today. Right. So I, yes, I work with a lot of content creators, a lot of uh, knowledge brokers, a lot of online education, you know, people that are selling their experience, selling their knowledge and helping other people achieve their own aspirations and dreams. And what I have noticed in my work as a dream team architect is that yes, there's, there's only so much work that I can do just with the aspiring leader who's going from again, rockstar doing to people managing and strategic thinking and department leading. And then what I've noticed in my work, it's like, I almost have to spend equal amount of energy and time and consulting and coaching with the actual employer themselves because they have to let go and they have to learn how to delegate for the first time and doing it in a way that empowers the other person, not, you know, cuts their legs from underneath them. So I, when I'm going about my work, it's like, I, I consult two people, not one person, like not one person for the same mutual benefit. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to something you said. I mean, I, you said you would rather have a rock star than, uh, a B level player. I, mm-hmm. I would actually say I would rather have a, I had this guy say this once to me a, a long time ago. And I thought it really, after I learned a lot about business, I thought it really made a lot of sense. He said, small businesses aren't going to get a level players. You're going to get B level players, which is what you want. And you want to avoid the C level players. Well, he actually said A, B's and C's. He says, you want to make C's B's and you want to make B's A's. Mm. But when I think about getting an A-level player, I, th- I think of a lot of problems. Mm. You know, I think of, you know, lots of potential issues and that, you know, you may not get that. And, and the, you know, I, one, one of the things that I've done really well over the years was, uh, was just become really great at hiring and, and making sure that I was really much better at them. It was never perfect. But mm-hmm. um, so what do you think about that idea of, you know, that small businesses aren't going to always get those rock stars. You have to coach people up. Well, I think this is where you and I then can discuss how you define a rock star doer, because yeah. this is where I think sometimes our small business owners have to properly manage their expectations because you're a small business owner, because you are, don't have the brand authority like you would, you know, you can't, you can't seduce a prospective employee by saying, oh, this is Facebook. This is Coca-Cola. There's like, you don't have that brand equity that you can flaunt and like wave, right. And kind of dangle the carrot. So for you to say, I'm not going to attract people who are attracted by big brands, that is correct. And so to me, a rock star doer isn't equivalent to somebody who has enormous amount, like 20 years of corporate experience. They've worked for all these people. Like, that's not what I mean by a, you know, rock star doer, a players. When I say rock star doers and A players, I mean that when I water into their flower cup, they grow. And there are certain people that you can, and it certainly will come up in an interview process if you know how to interview and hire well, but it's the people that when I, when I pour a cup of water, they give me, you know, like five inches of growth, right? So when I say A players, it means that they have an ability to self-manage. They show proactivity in their work. And when I invest in them, they pay me back in spades. That's an A player, not so much their credentials, their, their resumes, 
In fact, it's the opposite. Sometimes when I get really shiny resumes, those are the ones that turn out to be some of the hardest to level up because they are stuck in their ways because they've already, they've already been around the block or they think that they know more than you. And the truth is nobody knows your business the way you do. It's like, I don't care how long my mom has been a mom or my grandmother has been a grandmother. Nobody knows my kid the way I know my kid, period. And that's kind of how it is as a business owner. Like nobody knows my baby business the way I know my baby business. Yes, you might have worked at much bigger companies than me, but don't discredit the fact that I know this and I know my person and I know how to serve my person better than anybody else, right? So A players are people not that have shiny resumes and enormous backlog of experience, but they're just people that when I invest in them, they pay me in spades and their investment back. Yeah, I well put. I, I like what you said. I, you know, I, I, I'm really, I hear it so many times. I mean, I know so many business owners just personally uh, outside of the businesses that we're in, but um, who I hear they're like, oh my God, I got this great person. I got this great uh, candidate. Mm -hmm. And if he takes the job uh, or if she takes the job, things are going to be all better. Yeah. And then they get them. (laughs) Yeah. And then it was like they envisioned what the person was going to be like. And the person's never going to live up to that expectation. They, they interviewed the person wrong. They didn't set expectations correctly. They didn't give them, they didn't tell them a job description and details and how they're going to get measured. And it's a failure. And on both sides. On both. Yeah. It's called, I call it um, hiring with happy ears. Um, it's really common for my beautiful visionaries. Cause again, think about just being a visionary. I vision cast quite frequently and often on behalf of where I see my business. Like I see world Disney world before we even break ground. Like that's, they're always thinking they're futuristic. They're optimistic. The ideation is where they thrive execution. Maybe sometimes not so much, but what I also see with my beautiful visionaries is that they will vision cast on behalf of a person's potential, even if that person's potential is not the same. And you can't impose upon your employees an aspiration they don't currently possess. Like you can't aspire for someone else. And I see that a lot. And when it, when it comes up in the hiring process is when I, I call it happy years. Like they hear what they want to hear because they start to vision cast for the person and what it can mean for them. And they don't take into account what the person wants for themselves in their future and how saying yes to this opportunity is either going to help them or not help them. Because all the visionary is thinking is how does this help me? <laughs> so you really, when hiring, you want both where the, the, business owner's aspiration matches the employee's aspirations. Like that's where it's like, you know, like, you know, this is potentially soulmates is when I'm, I'm already on a trajectory towards this future that I see for myself. And then you go as a business owner, well, that's crazy because my business, I also aspire for it to go in that same direction. How great would this be together? Right. That's different. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I want to share with our listeners, like the scenario that I went through. So my, my second company was a company that, that got to 6 million. And, um, but I knew it is going to have a, a relatively short uh, life because we were catching a wave. It was, it was around for about 11 years and it was my second company. It was really, you know, really my first company. And it's really where I, where I kind of learned everything. And I, you know, where I made all my mistakes, mm-hmm. right? And so I started my third company, you know, which which became a, a eleven million dollar company and was Inc. five hundred fastest growing. Um, uh, I said to myself, I'm going to make sure that all the mistakes I made at the pr- company prior mm-hmm. is not going to happen again. And one of them was I'm going to have the best interviewing 
mm-hmm. hiring and managing process that I possibly can do. And so I, I made sure that I, uh, I, uh, had that, I mean, I really dived into a lot of books, courses, everything to make sure. And I had that great processes in place and boy, what a difference, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I would tell just one thing and, and uh, I'd like to hear Veronica's input on this as well, that once I had really, really defined my culture before the company started, I defined the culture of what I wanted that company to be about. And I hired into that culture the people that I was able to bring on were so much better. They were so much more in line with what I really wanted to, uh, my employees to be about. In fact, by the way, the, one of the top people, one of the first people I hired was that, was that rock star that I talked to you about mm-hmm. that, you know, worked me for a long time. And uh, so, you know, what are your comments on that? Well, I think company culture is, I mean, enormously uh, important. Uh, one of my favorite books, uh, her name's Ann Rhodes, um, and she uh, talks a lot about values and how she created the values for like Southwest and JetBlue and um, Phenomenal Leader. Um, and she works with executives to kind of lay out really unique core values that are not just like integrity, (laughs) (laughs) open communication, right? Like the generic stuff that everybody puts and platitudes they put on the wall, but they don't actually adhere to or, nor, you know, personify in their business. Right. So yes, company culture is extremely important. However, I have been in my own personal experience where I have been lured or attracted by really, really beautiful company culture statements and things like that, that when I was interviewing and I said, yes, cause I'm like, I believe in female empowerment and I believe in um, self-reliance and I, and I believe in this, this, and this too. Absolutely. And then when I got into the organization, what we said we were, we stood for, we certainly didn't live up to. So if we told the world we were for female empowerment, but then internally we were actively disempowering our female staff. Now we have more than just an integrity break, right? Now we, I mean, so many things were like, I, as as I, as a self-identified rock star, you know, employee myself, I was like, I don't feel congruent with myself. You know, so I think company culture is super important. And I applaud every single listener who's, who is on their website today has company values on it. Like, yes, the harder step, the more important step is the personification and the living of those values through and through, right? Not just like using it to grade somebody in a hiring process. So that would be the only thing that I would add to that is like one thing is to have it. One Another thing is to live it. Well, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, like, listen, what I said sounds so uh, like, well, duh. I mean, yeah, you know, you got to have a company culture, and but there's a lot more to it than that. Mm-hmm. You got to not only live it, you got to check in with it mm-hmm. with your own employees, making sure you're living uh, that that they feel that you're doing it. It's a yeah. constant process. I, I think it's a very fun part of the process mm-hmm. of building a company, right? Yeah, it's really. You know, I love execution. You know, I love. I'm one of those unusual. Entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs want to come, keep coming up with ideas. Yes. I want to come up with the idea and just execute the heck out of it yeah. because it's so much easier executing than come up with another big, uh, another idea. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I, I, I get stoked when I think about execution. And to me, culture and hiring people into that culture, mm-hmm. developing that culture, mm-hmm. continuing that culture, mm-hmm. I think is, is exciting and fun. Yeah. No, some people I would say, some people would say boring. <laughs> No, no, no. I worked at a really great company called Entrada. They're a property management software company and they're 
a unicorn kind of um, space and hundreds of thousands of employees. But when I was there, they not only did they hire for company values and they would grade their candidates on whether or not they lived the values of like talk to me goose and business in the front party in the back and like really unique values, right? But then every single year we would have values week. And then when I would come up for my October performance plan, there was both the qualitative and quantitative KPIs, right? So like if I was the marketer, I would be measured off like, did I grow the email list? How were my launch results? How are my initiatives and my campaigns and things like that? But then I was also going to be graded on how much I embodied the values of the company. And I would grade myself first, then my manager would grade me on those five values. And then we would talk about it if there was a discrepancy between how I saw myself living them and how he or she saw myself living them, right? So that's what I mean, like, one thing to have company values, but is it a part of your bonus structure? Is it a part of your comp plans? Is it a, like, is, is it a part and are you incentivizing me in every way to live them, not just to have it on my wall? That's all. You know, when you say, when you were just talking about that, I instant, I instantly instinctively knew, mm-hmm. wow, that was a great company that you were working for. It was. Right? It is. You mm-hmm. know, and when you hear it, so like I'll give you an example. So in 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 uh the that third company that I I had, had um the I became really good friends with a competitor down mm-hmm. in Florida, which was not uncommon for me to do. Right. And uh he was the most amazing guy. He was uh at the time I was six million and he was 40 million. Okay. And listen, we were in a $13 billion industry. Competitors, please. Okay. You're not competitors. Um, But anyway, he was like, you know, I started a conversation with him. He's like, why don't you come down? Why don't you see my operation? And, And I went in there. I spent three days there. And I was like in awe. I was like this. And every year he would apply and win in major publications for the best place to work in the country Mm. for a small business. Mm -hmm. And it was so well run Mm -hmm. and had everything. And I was, you know, it was what a great experience. And he does this all the time because he picks my brain. Mm -hmm. He sees that what we're doing and then he implements those Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And so he, he did that. It was a great learning experience, but when you're involved with a company that does what, like what you said, Mm-hmm. Um, your experience, you just know that it's a well-run company, doesn't it? It's not perfect. No. It's not. Let, let me be very clear. And I, you and I would, I mean, we'd be the first ones to scream this from the mountaintops. These companies that I've described are not perfect. They have shortcomings like all human beings are not perfect and have inherent weaknesses and faults. So, but, but, but where it matters most like there's just a lot that like can can help an employee retain beyond like your gym membership bonus, like perk, like, or, you know what I mean? Or you get like, you can bring your dog to the office, like, right. There's lots of things that you can do to incentivize an employee. But like, if you have a passion for what you do, if you enjoy the people that you work with and for, and you are treated fairly and compensated well, and you're invested into like, you're going to stick in spite of some of these weaknesses. Right. And so like you talking about how awesome it was that you didn't see your competitor as a competitor, but you saw yourself really as peers in the same industry, trying to do greatness and going about in different ways that you could learn from one another. Like it makes me think about um, Bob Iger, the ride of a lifetime when he was first prospecting the acquisition of Pixar with Steve jobs. 
And Steve Jobs invited him to the Pixar office headquarters. And it was drastically different, drastically different than how they were running Disney, and which is, you know, ABC and stuff like that. Like it was open pods and there was innovation and they had like you go into the studio and watch the movies and you could do this. And there wasn't like... And, and one of the things that Steve demanded in the acquisition is that to preserve the Pixar culture. And they were so scared that they was going to be stifled. And so that was one of Bob Iger's big things. Like I, make, I made a promise that I wouldn't take away the specialness that was that company's culture. And it just goes to show you that when you do, when you go about sending a lot of energy, intentional energy and creating a very specific company culture, you have to protect it at all costs because it's what makes you unique. And, it, and you won't see it as a profitability in the, like at the line. Like there's no like company culture, great, you know, uh, made me $30,000 this month. It doesn't work like that. You just have to be smart enough to know that it actually infuses and affects all your KPIs because there's a great work place environment where work can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that same note, talking about imperfection and something that's not perfect. I would never think any company's perfect. No, no, sure. I think any person is perfect, but um, you know, uh, it, not everybody knows that Steve jobs was one of the worst people to work for yeah. in all of corporate America. He was nasty. He would say the worst things to people. Uh, he, he, he required people to be, you know, 24 by seven, uh, doing their jobs. So there's, there's a lot of negatives to this visionary as well. So uh, there's a good example of someone who's not perfect mm -hmm. or a company that is, but um, so, you know, coming back to uh, what are some of your recommendations with having to deal with, you know, turning someone into a rock star, um, those, those type of areas. Yeah. So in converting a doer into a strategic thinker and leader, I think one, there it needs to be some level of assessment that can this person make the jump from being amazing at what they do to being amazing at helping other people do what they do. Right. So there's that initial kind of assessment of like, can this person go beyond self-management and mastery to the mastery of other managing others? Right. So like, and that's a, and that's a two-way conversation that I like to have. It's not just me like thinking like, can this person do this? Let me, let me, hmm, you know, do they, do they get involved in their community? Are they involved in their church? Like, I'm not looking for that kind of anecdotal evidence. I'm, I'm having a conversation with this person and I'm taking them to like a hypothetical window. And I'm like, tell me what your aspiration is. Tell me what inspires you. Tell me why you like working here. And if in some of that dialogue, not once do they talk about their peers and who they work with and the people, that's where I'm like, huh, <laughs> you you don't ask somebody, will you be good? At, will you be a good people manager? You don't ask that question. You ask a question and, and based off their answer, do they mention people? Right. So like, so it's a two way conversation, but it's also a strategically led conversation as whether or not they have, they exhibit behaviors or exhibit in, you know, an aptitude for wanting to, to be responsible for more than just themselves. If that is determined and that is their desire and aspiration, and I see it too, and I think that I, if I pour into their cup, they'll you know grow five inches overnight kind of thing, then we move into certainly a more systematic, more strategic approach to like almost onboarding them to this leadership position, right? And kind of like, let's, what does it mean? Let's say, how do you make the transition from your current job description to the job description that is a strategic thinker and a people manager, right? So we got to start going through that and detail, I mean, like detail going through what does that actually mean? And what do I expect as far as innovation as opposed to just reactionary kind of work? So like there is certainly a whole process to go about it beyond just thinking somebody could do it. Yeah. You know, I, um, 
I have a couple of examples to this share with you that I think reinforces what you're talking about. And I think the key word here is EQ. Mm. And I, I just, if you're bringing somebody on who's going to be managing other people, you know, you know, it's an old term. I think it's really pop. I think it's still really relevant. EQ, of course, for those of you um, who don't know it, is is like the ability to, it's IQ, but it's the ability for you to handle your emotions in the workplace, right? I'll, I'll just simplify it that way. And I'll, I'll give you two examples. Uh, one uh, one that I saw, uh, one is uh, when I, I started off with my career work for Xerox for eight and a half years. And for those of you who don't know Xerox, Xerox was the Google of its day. Yeah. So they were really a great company. I loved working there, talking about really great values and culture. And I, I loved it. And um, so I was the rock star, at, to be honest with you, I was the rock star at, at Xerox. I was one of the top sales reps in the country. There's 5,000 mm -hmm. sales reps, you know, not every year, but almost every year. I was way up there. And, and um, there was a guy who was on my team who was not a rock star. He was kind of average in the middle of the pack. And um, Xerox promoted him into management and they didn't promote me into management. And Xerox was so right because my EQ and the reason I don't work for corporations anymore was horrible. And his was fantastic. Yeah. He really knew how to deal with people. He knew how to not get angry. He knew how to, you know. And so, you know, I think when you have sometimes mm. someone who's really good at your company at doing things or delivering results, you know, the EQ doesn't always go with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and that was that's been my experience too. Your best performers often do not make great managers. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. So you're, I think you're right, right on uh, top. Now, have people, I'm assuming that people have brought you in to try to coach people up for being better managers. That is the nature of my work, like entirely. So oh. part of dream team architecting is restructuring an organization, putting in lanes. So it's not like bumper carts on a freeway, but then also helping people like step into leadership and letting my visionaries trust their leaders, which is a process for sure. But yeah, I mean, actually you're what you said about your experience. And my husband is a top salesperson for his organization. So like I understand, I understand exactly <laughs> what you're talking yep. about. Yep. Um, but one of the, my favorite, favorite quotes is by Bill Campbell, which is, you know, the trillion dollar coach, great book. If anybody hasn't ever read it. Um, he talks about how your title makes you a manager, but your people make you a leader. And I just think that's a massive distinguishing element of like, are you leading because you, you, think that you deserve to be respected or are you earning the respect of your people who make you a phenomenal leader, right? Um, but anyways, it's just a great quote by, and it's, it certainly encapsulates my my work and how I approach the work that I do for sure. Yeah. And for those of you out there who think you can't do it, uh, I, I did it. I became a really much, much better manager yeah. and a better leader. But I'll tell you, it was painstaking yeah. for not only me, but also my staff. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm a very good-hearted person, and so that makes up for a lot. You know, I I really care about people, and gets me upset when I don't do a good job. So I really yeah. really worked hard at it, and um, and I really saw that in some of the people that I actually moved into those manager roles, that if they had a good heart, 
You know, I know it sounds so trivial, but if you, if they had a good heart and they really cared about, you know, wanting to be better, mm -hmm. it, that was a good trade, mm -hmm. you know, and looking for somebody because, um, like I said, you're going to get C-level players, you're going to get B-level players, and you, you got to help them coach them up. And if they think that they're, you know, whatever doesn't stink, then they're not going to be um, good. And by the way, I've fired quite a number of people who were, who were um, my rock stars, who were really <laughs> delivering, and I fired them because they were just ruining the company. Sure. And, um, you know, so that kind of worked out. Uh, I have, you know, learned that lesson well um with uh let me ask you a question i, I you had said something before it kind of caught my attention I, I wanted to ask you was which was have you been coach have you been asked to coach a rock star and right off the bat you're like oh my god this is gonna be it, it almost impossible this is gonna be a you know like you had your instincts like this is gonna be bad yeah, so I um, this barely just happened. So I I just released a program called the Rainmaker Residency, which is basically a marketing leadership development program, but it's it's a two for one. So it's like half MBA of marketing leadership and half of a mastermind experience. But it's I built it so that it was basically a two person program. It demands and requires that the visionary is participating, and so is my Rainmaker, aka my marketing leader. But part of taking these people on board, it was an application process, and I would have to interview both. I would interview the, you know, the visionary, and I would interview the rainmaker as to like, why do you both want to be a part of the program? And I could tell that there were certain candidates that wanted the marketing leader to do it, but the marketing leader didn't want to do it. It was like, and again, it goes kind of back to what I was saying earlier. It's like that wasn't their personal aspiration; they were being imposed upon uh. because that's what the vision is. So, like when I say desire. And matching of aspirations and intentions is important. I really mean it. And, and so for this example, there were certain people that applied for the Rainmaker residency that I denied because they were not both on the same page as to the future of this collaborative experience. It's a relationship. You can't force somebody to date you. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm, yeah. like they both have to want to do this together. Yeah, well, I think it, it, getting you involved earlier than later sure. is probably better. I mean, that way... You got to have all your ducks in a row. You know the job description. You know the responsibilities. You know the KPIs. You have that all down. You know maybe potentially you know the culture of the company, sure. which you know sounds obvious, but it's not right. Mm -hmm. You have that all down before you say, "Okay, this is the right person for this role." I bet you any money, <laughs> if you do that work, and the person that you think you're going you, that should be uh, hired in that role internally mm -hmm. is going to turn out to be not the right person. I don't disagree with you. A lot of my power hours or a lot of my time early on when I'm meeting with you know prospective clients is actually specifically assessing their teams to see if they have the right people in the right seats. And again, I'm really trying to field out for happy ears. I'm trying to make sure that I, I you have to read in EQ, right? You have to read in between the lines, you know? And um, yeah, it's sometimes we, we vision cast for what somebody could be and not acknowledge what they are. And that is where I see a lot of the pain, a yeah. lot of the pain and disappointment and sadness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not the fun part of running a business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but um, 
No, but here's the thing that I've learned and why I am like you. I'm like a weirdo. I love people management. I know a lot of people don't and it intimidates them and they hate it. And it's like managing cats because it's like human beings with all their individual desires and wants. And how do you like, you know, get everybody to perform? <laughs> but I love people management and I've always taken it really seriously, really seriously that my employees, my team members spend more time with me and my care than they do with their families. And so if I want them to show up powerfully in their families, if I want them to show up happy at the dinner table and, and present with their children, then I can't make their work environment hell. And so it's always meant a lot to me to be in a position that I can control somebody's nine to five or eight to five and to do so that they show up powerfully and they're not nine to five, you know, because for me, family is everything. And so it's part of what drives me in the work that I do is making sure that my visionaries don't have to take workcations, that they can be present for their families and that my team members and my client staff, that they show up powerfully in their families when they're not at work too. Yeah. The other thing I would add too, is you can't go from zero to, no. you know, uh, 180 overnight. Uh, you no. just can't do it. It's just, no. this is a lot of work and you yeah. have to, you know, you know, making sure the business is profitable, yeah. you know, uh, you know, then you get to do a lot of this other stuff. And I'm not saying that, that you do that in that order, but, um, no. but uh, it's, it's not easy, but if, when you get more experience at, at uh, entrepreneurship, you, you realize, I think what you said, uh, Veronica, and that it's the people that really make a big mm -hmm. difference, not in just how proud you are of what you do. Um, the profit is almost in some reports after that starts to really take care of itself. It's the people that you really feel the best about. And when you say, oh, when I look back at what I did, you know, although I would tell you, Veronica, I would tell you the last uh, two companies that I still own right now, not the last, I own four, but two of them. Um, I, I have a business partner who's very successful as well. And he, we both said, we want a company with as little employees as we possibly can. Um, and so even though we're both good at it, we just said, you know, going forward, uh, we just want a small footprint and uh, we've been able to do that. So. Yeah. And I think that that's a really, uh, I applaud you both. I think that's a really valiant question to ask yourself because it, do you want a growing company that is small and agile and intimate, or do you want a scaling company that can become impersonal and is certainly more work and, you know, so I think a lot of people, a lot of ambitious entrepreneurs aspire to be a scaling company with yep. hundreds of employees and millions of dollars. And then when they start to get into it, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, whoa, this is not what I thought it would be. And it's like, correct. It's certainly not what it is or what it seems to be. It's one thing to say, I want a hundred employees, another thing to get to a hundred employees to your point. And so to recognize that I am the kind of person that loves people, but I thrive more in intimacy and agility and that small kind of container and small work family, then kudos to you because there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I wish people were more honest about that. Yeah. And it's worked well. It really yeah. has, you know, you know, I own two $25 million companies and our, we have hardly any employees. So it's, uh, and we're, we're certainly a lot, we're certainly happier. Sure. Um, so anyway, all right, good, Veronica. Well, it was great talking with you. Really interesting conversation. I'd like to thank uh, Veronica Romney uh, for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. 
and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Veronica, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, it's just veronicaromney.com. And if you're big on social media, I'm, I'm V Romney everywhere. Yep. And that's R-O-M-N-E-Y Correct. for all those out there. Um, and if our, if our listeners are interested at all, I tweet almost daily um, about life uh, as a business owner at, at S. Halasnik, which is my name. It's S-H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K. I want to thank all of our listeners for listening. The Entrepreneur MBA podcast has become extremely popular. And I think the takeaway from today is uh, let's, uh, let's be fa- let's, we are all people. We're all part of this world together and we all need to be better. We need to be better managers. We need to be better leaders. You're, you're doing this more than just for the money. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, treating people the right way. If you don't do that, well, let me tell you, this is this whole idea about being entrepreneur is going to come crashing down on you. Take a, take a stand to make yourself better. You'll feel better about yourself and so are your employees. Everybody have a really great day. Get out, enjoy the weather. Summer's coming soon. 